You may be seated. Well, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Church, one of the, at this campus primarily, but find my way other places as well, occasionally. I was reminded by our worship leader, Jordan, this morning that today is a palindrome, and I had to look that up. I should have known. I didn't know. Those of you that are younger than me probably know what that is, but today is 02-02-2020. So whether you look at the date forwards or backwards, it's a palindrome. It's understandable. He threw that out to me this morning during our prayer time before the first service, and it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? I've got to figure out a way to work that in. So I just worked it in. But it dawned on me that that's exactly what this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today does. Whether we look at it from the front to the back or from the back to the front, it's going to communicate the same thing. It's going to give us great comfort, great encouragement, great instruction in terms of what to do with suffering in our life. And once again, could I have the screen on back there? It would, it would be helpful if that is on so I can see. You may recognize this face. Reverend Lawan Andimi is now standing face-to-face with Jesus because just a couple of weeks ago he was executed by the Boko Haram militants in northern Nigeria. He had been a pastor for many years. He was chairman of a Christian association in his state in Nigeria. You may have even seen and listened to the video clip where ISIS, Boko Haram militants, put him in front of a video camera and asked him to basically say what they wanted him to say. But instead, he shared his faith. He shared his faith in Jesus. And he said this, that he was not discouraged despite his situation. He was not discouraged because, quote, all conditions that one finds himself in is in the hand of God. He went on to say, by the grace of God, I will be together with my wife and my children and all my colleagues. But if the opportunity has not been granted, maybe it is the will of God. Love that. And he is a visual reminder of what, what we prayed about this morning. Pastor John prayed about just what's going on in the world around us today. And I want to I alert us to something and then connect it back to us here today. So there's a Christian organization called Open Doors, and they track how Christians around the globe are being persecuted. They have a 2020 world watch list, which lists the top 50 countries in the world where it's the toughest to be a Christian because of persecution. Looking through that the other day, I came across these interesting statistics, actually tragic statistics. Every day, eight Christians somewhere in the world are executed, killed because of their faith. Every week, 182 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every month, 309 Christians somewhere on the planet are imprisoned unjustly. These 50 countries that are on this list comprise 260 million Christians which are currently suffering high to severe levels of persecution. Now, if you translate that into a ratio, including us, that means one in eight Christians. One in eight globally, are currently facing persecution. Now, lest we think that this is a problem out there, uh, it's a problem that gentlemen like him have gone through, um, I want us to look around the room. 
I want us to think about who's in here worshiping the Lord with us here this morning. Know anyone who's suffering for their faith in Jesus? We had some the last hour. I know their stories. There was a gentleman who was going to be here this morning, but he's not. He was literally, he has a black eye this morning because of his faith in Jesus. Administered by a relative, a father no less. Because of his faith in Jesus. We have, we have folks in this room, in this very room, who are, are losing or have lost jobs because of their steps of following Jesus. We have people in this very room who um, have been ostracized from family, children, grandchildren, uh, because of their faith in Jesus. And so, again, this is not an out there issue. It's a very much in here issue as well. And so, we, together, we can, we can relate with one another. Although our brother is in a much better place than we are right now, but he paid that uh, ultimate price, price of death, for his faith in Jesus. Well, I'd like us to look at uh, a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. It'd be really great if you have your Bible open, and if you didn't bring one, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you, so you can turn there to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's near the back of the New Testament. We're going to look at verses 12 through 19. I'm going to put um, the, the passage of Scripture up on the screen and we'll read through it. Let me read, let me lead us now and just uh, read through this passage, verses 12 through 19, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Before we look at this uh, passage in detail, and trust me, we will look at it in detail this morning, I want to just set the context here. I want to remind us of what Peter's doing here. He's coming to the end of a letter. It's a five-chapter letter that had been distributed to, as John said, to exiles, people that were living exiled uh, apart from home as a result of their faith in Jesus in the first century. In fact, it's interesting, as you look at the previous verse 11, that appears to be some sort of a benediction. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. It even ends with an amen, right? But then he picks up the theme again in verses 12 through 19. It's fascinating to me. Paul likes to do this. Uh, Peter does this. It's like there's a false ending. In fact, there's a couple of false endings in this chapter before we actually get to the very ending. It's kind of like kind of like what pastors do, preachers do, right? 
So when you hear me and you think I'm wrapping up, no, I've probably got five more minutes left, okay? So there may be one or two or three of those false endings this morning. Hopefully not. We'll try to stay on track here. These verses, though, these eight verses, they read like a review of the topics that have already been covered uh, in his letter. But what sets this section apart is the very first uh, word, the word beloved in verse 12. Peter begins this section similarly to how he had begun a section in chapter 2 with the term beloved. This is, this is important because he's speaking to them as a pastor. He's speaking to them um, in, in a love language that there's gonna, they're going to understand. And then he begins to connect things that he's saying here with things that he's already said. The fiery trial in verse 12 um, echoes tested by fire back in chapter 1, verse 7. The theme of rejoicing in the midst of trials that we'll see in verse 13 resumes the same theme that was first um, presented to us in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And we'll read those in a minute. Even the presence of the Holy Spirit with suffering exiles in verse 14 further defines what it means to be sanctified by the Spirit that Peter taught in chapter 1. And I could go on and on and on. There are multiple references in these eight verses to things that Peter has already taught. He must have been a teacher like me, right? Spaced repetition is a key to learning. And so he's trying to, to, to get the point home, but he's doing it in a, in a very loving sort of a way. Here's what I think is the primary idea in these eight verses of Scripture. I'm going to put it up on the screen, and then we'll, we'll mention it uh, again. At least I'm going to try to put it up. There we go. If you could go back one, I don't know how to go backwards. Thank you. Full speed ahead, never going backwards, right? God's sovereign faithfulness reminds us how to live when we suffer as exiles. Notice he doesn't say if we suffer as exiles. It's expected. When we suffer as exiles. God's sovereign faithfulness reminds us how to live when we suffer as exiles. Now, as a teacher of God's Word, and that's, that's my primary gifting, as a teacher of God's Word, I'm going to turn on the fire hose of information here, just for a quick minute. All right? I just want to, I want to get a blast in here, and then we'll back up, and I'll put on my pastoral hat and, and, and kind of take a leisurely, more deliberate pastoral stroll through some of the main points. Peter gives us seven reminders. Seven reminders. Here they are. Some in the last hour, immediately up came the smartphones and people were snapping pictures. And you can do that. That's great. But I'm also going to put these slides on the website. And so if you, you can access them hopefully tomorrow and you, you can find all this stuff there for you as well. But there are seven reminders. Now, this is unlike a normal preaching sermon, right, where there's three points. There's a poem, maybe a prayer, and then we go. No, we have seven. I'm a teacher. I love seven. Okay, we're going to have seven. By the way, that's a number of perfection. I hadn't thought about that until just now. So this, this must be a completion thing here. But here, here's what he's saying in these eight verses. He says, don't be surprised. In fact, expect suffering. Secondly, rejoice continuously in the midst of that suffering. He goes on to say that suffering actually is a blessing. And then he inserts an interesting verse that we'll look at. And he urges us to discern the source of our suffering. Evaluate, where is suffering really coming from? Why am I, why am I suffering? And then he, he encourages us to glorify God in the midst of our suffering. And then to entrust our souls and finally uh, to persist in doing good. Now, all of these verses 
all of these reminders are really anchored in verse 19, the last verse. So we're going to start there and then kind of, kind of move backwards for just a little bit. The bottom line, so to speak, is in verse 19. The bottom line is, when we suffer according to God's will, what do we do? We entrust. We entrust our souls to a faithful Creator. That's the bottom line. If you remember nothing else from this morning, please remember that in verse 19. Peter is reviewing the realities of suffering, and he is affirming that entrusting ourselves uh, to our faithful God, in fact, creates contrasts within our life, contrasts within our approach to suffering. I'm going to try something a little bit different. It's not going to be that clear, but, but I want you just to kind of grasp the overall picture of what's on the screen behind me. When you're studying a passage of Scripture, even if you're just reading a passage of Scripture, I would urge you to type it out, which is what I did, print it out, and then begin to just pour over that, which is what I've been doing for the last several days, even weeks, in anticipation of this message this morning. Before I started digging into the into the, the weeds, so to speak, of what specific verses mean, I just sat with this passage, and sat with this passage, and sat with this passage, and realized that things began to emerge out of this passage. And so there are connections. You can see that there are arrows going back and forth across across the the, the page, so to speak. I'd, I'd commend that to you in your study of God's Word. Let me see if I can make it a little bit clearer. That, that didn't really help that much either. But um, it, you, you'll notice, though, if you glance at that, that there are words that emerge off of this, out of this passage that are actually comparing and contrasting with it, within each other. Instead of being surprised by suffering, Peter, in, in verse 12, Peter says in verse 13, we rejoice. That's a contrast. When we're insulted, we're actually blessed. Instead of feeling ashamed of our suffering, we glorify God. And then the final contrast, which we've already seen in verse 19, is when we do suffer, we entrust ourselves to God. So to repeat, God's sovereign faithfulness reminds us how to live when we suffer as exiles. Let's look at the first one in verse 12. The first one is, don't be surprised. Expect suffering. When following Jesus, let's actually look at the text itself. Beloved, do not be surprised. And then look at the very bottom as though something strange were happening to you. This isn't strange. This is normal. And why is it normal? Well, Jesus predicted that it would be normal. In fact, in John's Gospel, in chapter 15, chapter 16, and once again in chapter 17, what we call Jesus' high priestly prayer, he explains to his disciples that they should expect opposition. They should expect persecution from the world. And why is that? Because that's what the world did to him. So if I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus, that stuff is going to follow right along with me as well. Because that's how they treated Jesus and they're going to treat us as well. And so he repeatedly made this point to his disciples. Plus, I want you to notice that suffering here in verse 12 is not a sign that God is absent. No, in fact, he's actually present through this process of purification, this fiery trial that's, that's referenced here in the, in the text. Uh, we'll look at, at a reference in chapter 1 in just a minute that connects to this. But this is a, a, a regular, normal uh, way that the Old Testament references how God um, refines His people. 
He, he allows them to go through fiery trials. Persecution, affliction, suffering, it's not accidental. It's, it's part of God's plan. It doesn't interfere with His plan for me. It's actually part of His plan for me. And it's a common thing for Christians, those who are truly faithfully following in the footsteps of Jesus. It's a normal thing. It's a normal part of life. I didn't mention this last hour, but it, it just dawned on me. I, I remember I was leading a Bible study of 20 business guys down in Southern California many years ago, and there was a, a long-time buddy of mine. He'd actually even gone to Multnomah for a while. Long-time buddy of mine, very successful in business. He came to the Bible study for a while. We, we're going kind of an overview of First Peter. We get to this section, and he just bluntly says, I don't want any part of that. And he'd been a long-time believer in Jesus, following Jesus, I thought. And he just said, if that's what this Christian life is all about, I, I'm really not interested. And he left. It's crazy. What I didn't know is that he was really scuffling with some things, immoral things and other stuff. So he didn't, he didn't want to align himself with Jesus because he didn't want this normal stuff to be a part of his life. But if we're following in the, in the steps of Jesus, if he is our Lord and Savior, guess what? It's, it's a part of what we can expect. Don't be surprised. Now, contrast that the potential surprise with this next verse, verse 13, where the point is, rejoice continuously in the midst of suffering. Let's actually look at, um, at the text. But rejoice, Peter says. So don't be surprised, verse 12, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Take your Bible and, and turn back just a couple pages to chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and look with me at uh, verses 6 through 8. Let me just read this for you. I don't have it on screen, but listen to what Peter has already said. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You see the similarity. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, you see the connection there with what we had just seen in chapter 4, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice, note, note this, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Yeah, Peter just he, he, Peter goes off in the beginning of, of his letter talking about greatly rejoicing, uh, rejoicing with joy inexpressible. inexpressible. Well, what's the motivation for this? How, how is that even possible? That is so counterintuitive. Suffering? I'm going to rejoice in that? It, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Except that the motivation is we get, to, we get to share in Christ's sufferings. Now, what does that mean? What do we have in common with Christ's suffering? His, we don't have in common um, that we're suffering in order to earn salvation. No, he's, he's paid that price. That's, that's done. That's a done deal. We're going to celebrate that later this morning uh, through communion. So it's not salvific. It doesn't provide salvation. But we do have this unique opportunity to come along and experience with him the same things that he experienced. If you just Google sharing Christ's sufferings, a host of passages will come up, most by the Apostle Paul, throughout all of his letters, where he talks about this great joy that we have because we have the opportunity 
to complete Christ's sufferings, to, to participate with him in his sufferings. And the command that Peter gives here in verse 13 is to do this now. It's in the present tense. Do it now. The, the, rejoice now. Why? Because there's so much more rejoicing that's yet to come in, in the future. In fact, the promise of future joy energizes the joy that is ours now in the present, in the midst of suffering. You might even say that this promise of future joy uh, is going to somehow vindicate later on in the future this present rejoicing when Jesus comes in His glory. That's a hope that the world does not have. That's a hope that our Nigerian brother had and his captors did not have. We see it reflected in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles uh, after Pentecost uh, they had been called in by the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, and they had been uh, imprisoned for a short time, um, and the charges against them were totally false, and then they're finally released. We read in, in Acts 5.41 that they left rejoicing, considering that they were worthy to suffer shame for His name. That, that's an amazing reminder of what we do as Christians. What we do, we rejoice in the suffering that we encounter. Let's go to verse 14. And the main idea here is that consider suffering a glorious God-given blessing. The text itself says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. That is so radical. That is so countercultural. That is so counterintuitive to what we would expect. Why? Because the Spirit of and of God rests upon you. That term insulted is, is translated, you may have a version in front of you that says reviled or reproached. It means to be mocked. It means to have insults heaped on you with no justification for them. This is what these believers, these exiled Christians were experiencing there in the uh, middle to the end of the first century in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, the, the really tough stuff was yet to come, but Peter's putting them on notice. He's, he's trying to encourage them, even in the midst of this brutal um, verbal onslaught. I'm reminded of the Beatitudes. Both in Matthew and Luke's Gospel, Jesus uh, is teaching. I love Luke's account of this. He says in chapter 6, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. <laughs> Are there people in here who can relate to that? I think so. I know your stories. I know my story. Notice what Jesus goes on to say. Rejoice in that day, and I love Luke's account, and leap for joy. And in the original Greek language, that means leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Now notice, and this is a key point here, the last half of verse 14. The blessing comes not because it's an opportunity for growth and self-improvement. This is not about how Tim can get stronger as a result of undergoing um, some sort of suffering. No, the blessing comes because of the presence of God. Because the Spirit of glory and the Spirit of God rests upon you, Peter says. 
suffering brings us into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you know, the, the actual term for Holy Spirit means to be summoned, to be called to one side in order to render aid. Jesus is calling the Holy Spirit to come and render aid to those who are experiencing the suffering. So suffering Christians, we don't have to wait for heaven in order to experience God's glory. Being insulted for the sake of Christ is an indication that that the ones being insulted are standing under God's blessing even now. Can, can, can I get an amen on that? Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you're experiencing that, that's wonderful news, right? That's amazing. Well, let's continue here with this really kind of counterintuitive reminders from Peter. Let's go to the, the next verse. And in verse 15, um, Peter reminds us to, to stop and discern the source or the cause of suffering. Let's look at the verse itself. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. New American Standard says, troublesome meddler. We'll get to meddler in just a second. Those other three things are like, wow, okay, yeah, I don't want to suffer because of that. I don't want to, I don't want to be suffer. I want to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. I don't want to suffer because I'm a murderer. I don't want to be incarcerated because I'm a thief. I don't want to be, be in trouble because I'm an evildoer. And, and so Peter, uh, it's, it's fascinating. He's inserting this because he's, he's encouraging his audience very quickly to, to, to evaluate, uh, to, to discern, to examine, to assess realistically what is actually causing the suffering that I'm experiencing. You know, unfortunately, there are some difficulties that we bring on ourselves, right? I have suffered in the past, not because of, of the sake of Jesus, but because I've just been a jerk, because I've had some issues that I that I I've, I haven't let go of, right? We we might be caught in disobedience or sin. In fact, Peter has already mentioned some of these in in previous chapters. Some Christians who feel discriminated against because of their faith may in fact have brought that upon themselves. It might be a sharp temper or intolerance or dishonesty or arrogance or aloofness or you fill in the blank. Peter warns us to beware of persecution as a consequence, potential consequence of unchristian conduct. In other words, don't just blame everything on Jesus <laughs> for the sake of following Jesus. There might be some issues in your life. And, and this leads into this last word. This, this word meddler is a fascinating term, and, and, and we've got to take 30 seconds to dive deep into this. It's actually two words in Peter's language that are brought together. One word means uh, something that belongs to another person. That's simply what the word means. The second word is the word episkopos. And those of you that have an interest in the Greek language, we get the word episcopal from that. It means bishop. It means overseer. You put those two words together, and what Peter is saying is, don't act like a bishop over somebody else's business. Okay? So, I mean, I can look at the list and I can go, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm good, man. I'm not an evildoer. Uh... But it, have I stuck my nose into some people's business sometimes and tried to over, give oversight to that thing? Peter says, don't go there. It, the Bible elsewhere calls that a busybody. A busybody who weighs in on other people's business, inappropriately involved in other person's affairs. And again, it, you know, if you can relate to that, if the, if the shoe fits, then wear it. And all Peter's doing here is he's saying, look, I, I want to remind you about how to how to um, um, live life in the midst of suffering. And so one of the things you might need to do is you might need to evaluate 
how did I get here? Is it because of the sake of the name of Jesus, or is it because of some uh, character flaws that I might have? I'm going to skip over verse 16, we'll come back to it. I want us to look at 17 and 18, because they continue this thought of uh, discerning and evaluating why we might be in suffering. One of the reasons we might be in suffering, according to verse 17, is that there is a time for judgment. It is coming. If I may use the theological term, eschatological, that refers to end times. There is a, a time of end time judgment that's coming. Uh, we understand it. We, we see in Jesus' teaching, uh, he divides the sheep from the goats. There's a separation, right, of, of, of sorting out of God's humanity. But we find in Scripture that it always, always, Old Testament, New Testament, it begins with God's house. God is always bringing judgment and purification on his people first, whether it's in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel or in the New Testament with the church. Those who profess Christ are the first ones to be tested in God's judging action. Here's the beauty of that, though. We're going to celebrate communion. Because when I stand in judgment, what's God going to see? God's going to see the blood of Jesus covering Tim. Right? God's going to see the blood of Jesus poured out on my behalf, on your behalf, and we are saved as a result of that. In verse 18... Uh, in order to try to drive this point home, uh, Peter quotes Proverbs um, 11.31. And the wording here is, is slightly strange. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Don't think barely saved, like getting in by the skin of your teeth. No, it really should be translated saved with difficulty. In other words, the world's response to us makes it difficult to be a Christian and to remain faithful to Christ. Until the end. Uh, will we have the resolve? Will we have the stamina to persevere to the end? That's the question that's being asked here. So we learn from these two verses that suffering uh, may strike a believer, but it's always done in accordance with God's will. Nothing comes to us without first passing through the loving hands of our Father. It may come as purification for us, but it's coming through His hands. So as a result of that, let's, let's back up to verse 16. As a result of that, then, we can glorify God in the midst of that. And once again, this reminder from uh, Peter is, is oh so, doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. We wouldn't expect that. Let's look at verse, verse, the actual wording of verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers, or yet since anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed... But let him glorify God in that name. See the contrast there? From shame to glory. In the culture in which Peter's audience lived, end of the first century, Asia Minor, they were living as exiles. And their standing in that culture was based on honor or shame. It's a little difficult for us to, to recognize because we live in North America where our, our culture is based on innocence or guilt. Asian cultures are still today shame-based cultures. And that's the culture in which they live. So these insults that were being heaped on them, the slander of unbelievers around them, were perhaps intending to, to shame and marginalize these Christians who thought and acted differently. So this is severe stuff, right? To suffer and to feel shame for what's being said about you. In fact, it says, if you suffer as a Christian... This is only the third time that that word appears in the New Testament. It's used twice in Acts, and now it's used here. The term Christian is, is a nice term, I think. 
although more and more people in the world are thinking opposite of that. But in Peter's day and time, this was a negative term. It was a derogatory term. It was a term of reproach and disgrace. You call yourself a Christian, your little follower of, of Christ. That's how it was used. And so, in the midst of that kind of suffering being called that, Peter says, we glorify. And this glorify God, the, the sense of that word is that we, it, it denotes a continuous and ongoing action. We don't just glorify God once and then let it go. Or once a week on Sunday, we glorify God. We're here. We're going to glorify God. And then we go out and live Monday through Saturday, you know, trying to eke out a, an, an existence. No. He says, this, we glorify God continuously, ongoing, not stopping. Well, we're back to, we're back to verse 19. How do we, again, how, how do we do that? And this is really a primary point here. In, in, by, we do it by entrusting ourselves to our faithful Creator. Let's look at the actual wording of the, of the verse. Therefore, you've heard it said before, right? Whenever you see, therefore, stop and ask, what's it there for? Well, it's therefore to make the point. He's drawn a conclusion here based on these previous verses. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's the seventh point we'll get to in just a second. I love the, 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 the deepness of this word entrust. It's literally a banking term that Peter is using here. And it means to deposit funds in a bank for safekeeping. That's what we're supposed to do with our souls. We entrust, we deposit our soul, our very life. We deposit that for safekeeping. With, with whom? With what? With our Creator. With God who created us. With our Redeemer. With Jesus who redeemed us. Right? And that's, that's how we're able to do all these other things and live up to all these other reminders that Peter has given to us. This commitment, too, is, is once again, it's not a single action. It's not, okay, I'm going to do it one time. When I accepted Christ in my life, I did it. Okay, good, I'm good to go. No, it's, it's a continuous, ongoing attitude and action. We could actually translate this, be, con- be constantly committing or entrusting. Peter is saying, well, who's our model for this? The right answer is always Jesus, right? Turn with me just back to, uh, to chapter 2. Real quickly, look at verse 23. Jesus is our model. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. 2.23 When He suffered, He did not threaten. But He continued what? Entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. If it's good enough for Jesus to do, I'm pretty sure it's good enough for us to do (laughs) as well. And then finally, in the same verse we learn that we persist in doing good. How is this trust expressed when we're suffering? We persist in doing good. Um, Ephesians 2.10, we're His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He has prepared in advance for us to do. So we persist in that. That's how we, that's how we flesh out this entrusting ourselves to God. Suffering because one is a Christian is neither unexpected nor is it shameful. Our model for suffering and honor is embodied in Jesus Christ Himself. 
Suffering is an opportunity to glorify God. It's joy rather than surprise. Blessing rather than insult. Glory to God rather than shame. The Christian is called to enduring commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering caused by that very commitment. And it's way too silent in here. Can I get an amen on that? Amen, right? Amen. That's amazing truth that Peter's given to us here. <laughs> I feel right at home now. You know, um, it, looking for a way to, to kind of put a icing on the cake, so to speak, I came across an interesting true story. A young man named Jeffrey Bull uh, from England, from London. Shortly after the conclusion of World War II, he went to central China as a missionary. He entered Tibet in the summer of 1950, and he witnessed the last days of the, uh, of the Tibetan independence. But then he was soon imprisoned by the invading Red Army, the, the communist Chinese, on the pretext that he was a spy. So he's in his early 30s. He's being held captive for a little more than three years. Part of the time he was held in solitary confinement, uh, he was half-starved, he was threatened, he was badgered with words, he was subjected to techniques of brainwashing. He writes about this later and says that to help maintain just his sanity, he created a special study of the six different types of mosquitoes that were in his cell. But in the midst of all this, he composed a long poem, and I want to read just a part. This was his prayer in the midst of horrible suffering. Let not thy face grow dim, dear God, nor sense of thee depart. Let not the memory of thy word burn low within my heart. Let not my spirit, Lord, grow numb through loneliness or fears. Let not my heart to doubt succumb and keep my eyes from tears. Let not the distance come between as months and years increase. Let not the darkness close me in. Let me not lose thy peace. Let, let not the pressure of the foe crush out my love for thee. Let not the tiredness and the woe eclipse thy victory. His final verse is stirring. For thy joy is my joy, and my hope thy day, and thy kingdom, gracious God, shall never pass away. Amazing. Well, we have a, an opportunity this morning uh, to, to celebrate, to celebrate the Lord's table to celebrate uh, communion, to celebrate the realities uh, of what Jeffrey wrote about in that cell, to celebrate these reminders of how to live the Christian life in the midst of all different kinds of suffering. And we're going to do that as we celebrate the Lord's table. Now, if you're new to new life, if, if, this, if you're just visiting and you don't quite know how we do things here, I'm going to share with you this. It's, this is not exclusively for card-carrying members of this church. Okay, If you profess King Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're following because of God's grace, um, and Jesus is in your life, He is your Savior, He is your Lord, then you are welcome. You are welcome at these at the Lord's table. We have two up front, we have two in the back, and there's even one in the, in the balcony. But if you're not, I, want, I just want to gently encourage you, when the rest of us get up uh, from our seats, and, and those of you here on the main floor, if you'll come down the center and then go back to your seats out, out the outside, as, as we do that, if you're not there with us, 
then just sit quietly. Just sit in your seat. I'd encourage you to pray. I'd encourage you to, uh, to think. I'd encourage you to, to ponder some of the things that we heard here this morning from God's Word. And so uh, I'm going to pray in just a minute, but then during, during this next song, I'm going to encourage um, all of us that are ready uh, to come forward, pick up the elements, pick up both the bread and the cup, take it back to your seat, because at, at New Life Church we take them together as opposed to doing it off in the corner. We're going to take them together um, and, and we'll celebrate. Now, be mindful. This is not a mortuary. Okay. So we're serious about this, but we're rejoicing in this too. We're remembering the great sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, faithful God, your word is so powerful. We're so grateful. So grateful that you've left us a, testi- a testament of the truths that you want us to embrace. So thank you for the instruction from Peter given to believers, exiled believers, thousands of years ago, yet so relevant for us today. I pray, Lord, that you would take the truth of your word, drive it deep into our hearts where it could um, begin to, uh, to, to take root so that it would bear fruit for your glory. And now, Lord, too, as we uh, observe this celebration of what you've done for us, this celebration, this communion of you sacrificing your life so that we might live. Uh, Lord, uh, use this time as well to build us up in our faith. May you be glorified through us even as we partake of the Lord's table today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.